This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 720, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 720. I'm Ryan Halp, sitting in for Josh Flanagan, and this is my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. It's your first show, 2020. Well, yeah, I was due. I'm ready. I'm here. You're lucky. It's the first hot show. It's not hot here. There's a heat wave in Los Angeles. It's almost 90 degrees. When it goes from like 60 to 90, I've got a headache. So just letting you and everyone else know. little thermal whiplash? <laughs> yeah, it's not. My body's not happy. Where's Josh? He's got things to do. All right. <laughs> what happens in the woods in New Hampshire stays in the woods in New Hampshire. Ah, yes. It is primary season, after all. <laughs> we are iFanboy, and every week we read our stack of comics, and one of us picks their favorite book, and we call that the pick of the week. We talk about that book, other books from the week, the patron pick, some listener mail, if we have time, and it's going to be fun. Oh, I haven't looked at the questions yet. Here's your spoiler warning. This is a review show. There will be spoilers. Exercise some caution. This week, Connor, you had the pick. I did, and I thought it'd be a great hour to talk about comics, but since you're here... Noted virologist, Dr. Ryan Haupt, we could talk about the coronavirus instead. Sure. I've got the map up. I'm monitoring the situation closely. I'm washing my hands. 20 seconds. Uh, hum, the, hum the happy birthday song twice while you wash your hands, kids. That's oh, what that's, I'll... That's so. what it is? Yeah, what? Washing your hands or how long you're supposed to wash your hands for? How long you're supposed to wash your hands for? Yeah. 20 seconds. Hum, the, hum happy birthday twice. Oh, that's, that's a good tip. Let's move on to the comics. Shave your mustache if it will block your respirator. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what other, that's the CDC put out a chart. Well, let's talk about that after the show. <laughs> Pick a league was John Constantine Hellblazer number four. Probably a surprise for some people, although they might have been expecting it to be Josh. I don't think I've ever picked a Hellblazer book in my life, mostly because I didn't read the old Hellblazer book. I think I read one issue of the DCU version book, the Constantine version, or whatever it was yeah, called. Yeah, you committed to reading all the number ones. Yeah, you're right. I did, but this is like the first true. Hellblazer comic, and Josh and I have been talking about this series the whole time, and from what I gather, it's pretty close to the spirit. I read ugh, I read three or four trades of the old book, but I, never, I didn't read it like regularly like Josh did. That's about where I'm at, too. I'm not unfamiliar. I read the Garth Ennis stuff. I'm familiar enough, but I've never followed a book monthly like I am now with this one, which I've been really enjoying. It's from DC's Black Label, and I guess everything's Black Label that they don't really know what to do with. Black Label, again, just Vertigo. So is Hill House. Simon Spurrier and Mateus Bergara, the new artist for this arc with Jordi Belair on colors. Did you read this? Have you been reading this book? I did, yes. I needed a few extra minutes to prepare to read issue three because I didn't realize that that was a three-issue arc and this was the start of a new arc. But have you been reading the, the series? Yeah, I guess you have been reading the series. If you yes, read. I have. Yeah. So this is the new arc in which John Constantine is decided to embrace a new image. The issue opens rather hilariously where he is being fit for a, n a nice new suit. He's even going the gloves route, which I think is a bit much. And he walks out of the uh, of the place with his jacket draped over his shoulders like a true London fancy boy and a shit demon attacks him <laughs> and ruins his suit. And that's when he meets Tommy Willowtree, his millennial hipster apprentice. This whole issue is basically the culture clash between John Constantine and Tommy Willowtree. John Constantine, the old grumbling smoking, angry magician, and Tommy Willetree, the yoga, vegan, man bun, ear spacers, rolled up skinny jeans wearing, scarf wearing, hipster musician. And I just loved it. Yes, I loved everything about it. it was, this was really funny. The Mateus Bergara art I thought was incredibly atmospheric and interesting. A different kind of style than the previous arc, which I really loved, but totally fitting with this kind of tale. And it sets up an interesting story a mystery here where there's a curse where immigrants are being attacked so we see um a polish woman and uh, a muslim family and somebody else they all get attacked by this curse that's infected london and it's an interesting story and, and, and at, the, at the end willow tree tells constantine that he is the new what is it the mage of mage lord mage lord of all england of all england yes while they're having a drinking contest at the bar where he's constantine's been hanging out 
I don't know that Tommy knew they were having a drinking contest. No, he wasn't aware, and that's why he was winning. Also, Constantine made the mistake of thinking he could drink under the table someone much younger than him. Because I don't care how grizzled of an alcoholic you are, uh, this other guy's got a younger constitution. I just thought this was funny and fun, and I've been really enjoying this series. The mysteries have been fun. There's a bit in the middle here where the, the art gets sort of painterly, which was nice. It was all in all, I thought, a really fun issue. Yeah, it was great to look at, and I was laughing the entire time, except for the you know horrifying anti-immigrant parts. Right. Um, not funny. Not funny, but the, the rest of the book, hilarious. John's cabbie, what was his name, Chase, previously? Chaz. Chaz has been yeah. replaced by this new guy who's mute named Noah, From but is also very hilarious. Yeah. That happened in the first arc, but he's yeah tagging along for part of this, driving John around. Well, he's the new, he's the new Chaz, but he met John in the first arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was just... Uh, Sorry, my there's... brain is cooking in my head, so just keep talking. Fine. <laughs> and uh, I'm still really enjoying the the Scottish bouncer lady. Mm-hmm. She's hilarious. I think this happened in the last issue, or at least I noticed it in the last issue, and it, it continued on a little bit in this one. But John is uh, apparently bi. Yeah, he's always been bi, yeah. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah. On the TV show as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That is neat. But yeah, this this was really super funny. I was really glad I got caught up on it in time to talk about it on the show. There was a lot of really good books this week. I'm going to talk about them, and I had a really fun time reading comics. But every time I would think about it, and I finished reading them, and I gave myself a couple hours to think about it, my brain kept coming back to this book and scenes from the book, jokes from the book, and, the, and just thinking about the story and wanting to read more of it. That's generally the sign of a pick of the week. And also, we should mention that it looks like that... As we've seen throughout this series and also the prelude one-shot that I think Josh made pick of the week, old Constantine from the previous continuity it seems to be the overarching villain here. Oh, interesting. The old man in the flat cap who is... At the, it was revealed at the end of issue three and then we see briefly in this issue. Yeah, that is old John from the old Vertigo series. And so that interesting. he seems to be the one that has enacted this curse that is infecting places on in London where if you draw them on the map, it turns out to be a giant penis... So and funny. so John's battling himself, although he doesn't know it yet. So there's a lot of interesting things going on here. Cy Spurrier, I think, is doing a great job of setting things up. And Josh and I have talked before. In the past, not been huge fans of his, but this book has been firing on all cylinders. I would imagine, and I'm, again, not an expert, but I would imagine that old-time Vertigo fans must be enjoying it. Cy Spurrier has the right mix of supremely British... Mm-hmm. just enough like in the of the profane you know shit monsters and and swear words and then yeah just some clever ideas that are clearly speaking to issues that are happening in our world right that i think it all comes together really nicely for a book that is funny relevant and reads very authentic to at least my american perception of having watched a lot of bbc <laughs> yeah i'm gonna keep referring to josh because he's the hellblazer fan here but he's always said that as good as an American writer is, it's usually not as good as unless it's a British writer. It just feels different. I've only read some of the Azzarello stuff. I think I read one of those. Um, he did like a one-shot hardcover a long time ago. I think I read that one when John was in prison. That sounds like it's right in my brain. Anyway, this has been great. And it's funny because now like, I get excited when a Hellblazer book comes out. And that was something I didn't think would ever ha- happen. When it comes out, I'm, it's, it's been really good. And the art change has been great. Tom, is it Tommy Willowtree? Tommy Willowtree. Yeah, that sounds right. He's appropriately hilarious as a millennial caricature, although not that caricature from people I meet in Los Angeles all the time. He's also got double sleeves, tattoos. And also we should mention a terrific John Paul Leon cover, which features Tommy Willetree in hovering meditation at the Tower of London. It was terrific. It was really terrific. This is a great jumping on point. You don't need to know about the previous arc, although it, it you should. It was terrific, but this is a great issue to start reading if you're curious at all. If you're an old Hellblazer fan, yeah, the previous arc was a little tricky just because it reminded me a little bit of season one of The Wire, where like the dialogue is so affected by the accent and mm-hmm. the way that it's written that it can feel a little impenetrable. But I think if you just kind of let it wash over you, you can get through it and still get the sense of what the story is about. This issue felt much more approachable and there are things that are set up in the first three issues john's demon phone yeah for example that i think will help flesh out the story but aren't 100 percent necessary you're right this is slightly more new reader friendly i think yeah sure thing bruv <laughs> so john constantine helpless number four is the first part of the scrubbing up story and i'm looking forward to john and tommy's adventures in saving england from this curse this is a really great issue but also another great comic this week was Batman Superman number seven from Josh Williamson and 
taking over from Dave Marquez. And at first, I, I saw Dave Marquez's name not on the book, and I went, oh. And then I saw it was Nick Darrington, and I went, ooh. Nick Darrington moving over from Batman Universe to draw this arc, I assume, of Batman Superman. Now we've moved beyond the Batman Who Laughs story, finally. That, that took six issues. Yeah, that was what kind of lost me with this book, is I had very little patience for the Batman Who Laughs stuff, and so I stopped reading after, I think, two issues, and I wasn't able to catch back up in time for recording. I understand, yeah, and you wouldn't need to have read the in the reading issues. I mean, there's a brief mention here of the aftermath of that, but really this is its own story. In fact, it ties more into Bendis' run on Superman than anything else. So in Bendis' run, that ill-fated idea of Rogo Czar... Rogozar, the guy really responsible for the death of Krypton, he had destroyed Kandor in that arc. And here, Zod retrieves Kandor and then takes them to a Lazarus pit to be revived, all the people of Kandor. And that sets up a confrontation between him and Ra's al Ghul, who seeks out the help of Superman and Batman to stop Zod. It's his double team-up, in a way. And all drawn by Nick Darrington, drawn terrifically. He was my artist of the year last year. You know, the Josh Williamson stuff, it's all over the place for me. This is not as sharp. I think of Nick Darrington and I think of Bendis' writing and that's incredibly sharp. And this is a little... Every once in a while a character says something and I wince a little bit. But the story was really fun and then the cliffhanger was terrific in which all of the tiny Kryptonians emerged from the Lazarus pit. And so now you've got thousands of tiny insane Kryptonians because when you come out of the Lazarus pit you are insane. So that's going to be fun for the four of them to deal with. It's a fun little team-up story and... If you were turned off like Ryan from the first arc, you can jump right on here and not worry about it. I will plan on doing that. Trust me, I didn't enjoy the last arc. I only kept reading it for Dave Marquez's art. But even then, it was tough sometimes. This was a really fun book. This was up there for Pick of the Week as well. And the third one was X-Men number seven, which was a little bit of a surprise for me. Jonathan Hickman and Lanil Francis Yu, Sonny Go, and Clayton Cowles. Have you been reading X-Men? Yeah. Who boy, this issue. I have not been reading all of the, the spinoffs. No, 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 drop- no. I just meant X-Men as a series because Josh dropped off it. I feel like every third issue has been incredible, which I realize has only been seven issues, but I feel like three of the seven have been incredible issues and then the rest have been okay. And this is one of the ones you thought was incredible? I thought this was incredible. This is one of those where it's like an episode of the, the Simpsons back in the day where it'll start off with what you think is an initial premise and then it gets twisted and morphed so much that by the end of the episode you can't... You can't imagine that it started off the way that it did because this starts off with Cyclops and and Logan having coffee on the moon. And flirting. Yeah. Okay. So is there like a – I know I was asking about Constantine's sexuality in our previous discussion. But like is – I feel like I've seen Cyclops flirting both with Gene and Emma and now Logan to a little bit. Well, as we've discussed, uh, Krakoa's nickname is Fuck Island where everyone is is just constantly having sex. So I think it's been highly implied – we saw the layout of their moon base in which all of their bedrooms connected to each other's that there's some sort of thruple action happening between Logan and Scott and Jean. I think Emma's in there too, isn't she? I think Emma's the, is a wild card because she doesn't live on the moon base with them. I don't think, but I feel like she's been flirting with both. She's been like still calls Scott, you know, darling or whatever. Emma flirts with everybody and here she is this issue or is it was the other one we're going to talk about where she definitely, which is the whole, like the whole genie in a bikini, Scotty in a speedo. I was like, man, there was an issue this week where Emma definitely flirted with Scott. It's not this one. But it was one of the other X-Men books. But to me, when this gets interesting is when it really explores this strange new paradigm and all of the different... Call it a cult yet? We've been calling it a cult for, for, for weeks, Josh and I. It's definitely this a... Is super culty. It's definitely a cult. They're wearing now flowers we're, in their hair. Now we're indoctrinating children. The idea here, we've, and we've been investigating the idea that the X-Men can't die. and They've got backup copies on the island, and so if they die, the five, or whatever the group name is, resurrects them from the last backup copy. Mm-hmm. So this is where we introduce the idea of what about all the mutants that were deactivated during, was it House of X? It was what precipitated House of M. House of M, right, when Scarlet Witch said no more mutants. And so here we have some mutants, some of the Guthrie clan, who are on Krakoa, and in order to get revived as full mutants, which I would assume would mean to their original copy, which wouldn't be the person they are now. Anyway, they have to fight Apocalypse with a sword, and he has to kill them. I think it's a thing where, like, the DNA that they're using to resurrect them, their body, is the mutant DNA with the X-gene activated, but the memories are downloaded from the moments right before death. Sure. The point is they have to have a sword fight with Apocalypse so he can kill them. 
Yeah. Real, uh, real Mountain and the Viper vibes. It was a brutal fight between what's yeah. her name and Apocalypse, in which they have a sword fight, and then she loses her sword, so then he just beats on her for a while, and she's got like a bloody and swollen and bruised up face. And Arrow is her mutant name, and yeah, like you said, she's one of the Guthrie, Melody Guthrie. Cannonball, her her, her relative of some brother or something, doesn't like it. Obviously, he's, he's got to be held back because. Apocalypse is oh. just beating on her. I mean, there's just one page with almost Joker and Jason Todd, like where he's, we see from her perspective, he's just punching down on her over and over. It was over. super brutal. And then she's resurrected and has to stand naked in front of the entire island of Krakoa. Cult. It's fucking weird. And I love it. And Nightcrawler declares somewhat unceremoniously that all of the problems or questions that this new system proposes will necessitate the creation of a new mutant religion and he's going to do it. That's what I keep finding interesting is they're peeling the, la- the layers of the onion away. And so now we have, okay, what about those other mutants? And now we have religion being brought into it. And anytime they really fully examine how strange this new society is, I think it's really interesting. The other issues in which they don't really do much. I think of the last issue I thought was kind of boring, the one before that. It was really kicked off with House of X and Powers of Ten that Jonathan Hickman was going to do X-Men as true sci-fi. Right. Like he was going to take a science fiction concept ask what if and really follow you know go down the rabbit hole of like well if if this was possible then this could happen but then if that happened then this could happen and it feels like links in a chain that all make sense that are leading us i don't know where the story is going but the the high concept of it is a really interesting series of thought experiments about a way a society would work if x y and z could all be simultaneously true which makes sense for that first nightcrawler want to start a religion because they are this hermetically sealed society and it seems like krakoa has already built a church on the island that no one has access to right except nightcrawler and i'm guessing once he develops his religion that will that that's got to be the the sort of macguffin of like the church will open when the master is ready to appear they don't even consider themselves human i mean I'm, i know they're always been homo superior but they've leaned into it that they're not human that they're different than everyone else and this is in a more militant angry way and, and there's a lot of talk about them being evil and they kind of are one thing we didn't touch on is the reason that she has to fight Apocalypse is because if every mutant who had lost their powers during House of M killed themselves simultaneously, it would be too much for the island to resurrect because it'd be like millions of people. Right. So they've developed this system called the Crucible where to prove that you're worthy to be re- resurrected as your mutant self, you have to fight Apocalypse to the death. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound fun. They're bad guys. And it's interesting to, to see them being explored that way. Well, that, uh, that transitions us nicely to X-Men Fantastic Four number two, story by Chip Zdarsky, pencils by Terry Dotson, inks by Rachel Dotson with Carl Story and Ransom Getty, colors by Laura Martin and letters by Joe Caramanga. Uh, this, are you reading this? Yes, and this is the book where Emma and Scott were flirting. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, this and this is, is also the book where it's like the X-Men's position seems completely unsupportable. <laughs> That's what I mean. They're full-on bad guys, which is yeah. fine. It's a take. And, you know, have your take and do it. You know, for us, the hard part we've had is certain characters... Like Wolverine, we feel like shouldn't be on board with this weird sex cult in the in the Pacific or wherever the island is. But they're all in on this, and even to the point where you know they they go up against Fantastic. They basically not kidnap the kids, but it seems like they've kidnapped Valeria and Franklin, and so the Fantastic Four invade the island and they fight. And Doom is sort of on their side, which should worry them. And it's all a big mess, but I thought this was a lot of fun, too, and the Terry Dotson art was great. We hardly ever see Terry Dotson interiors. The scene that I really liked was when they're in their council room discussing, you know, Cyclops is trying to be like, so did we steal the kids? And, <laughs> and everyone's being like, no, we re- we legitimately didn't. He's like, okay, but Reed is saying we did, so they're going to come here and, like, mess us up, and we got to figure this out. <laughs> and somebody makes an offhand comment of, like, yeah, it's weird that they're not already here. Like, they should have been here by now, like, just based on, you know, the Fantastic or whatever. And then, like, they realize that, like, oh, they're in the room, and they're invisible, and they're going to beat the shit out of us. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and, it's, and, it was, and it had sort of stakes because – you know, for up to this point, it's almost been the invincible X-Men because they show up in your country and they strong arm you into doing what they want or they destroy your troops or whatever. And here, they can't do that to the Fantastic Four. And so it's, there's actual stakes to this fight. I love Invisible Thing, you know, showing up and just clocking Magneto. It was a great sequence. It seems like Reed's plan should have been better then Sue will keep us invisible and use force fields to help us win this fight. And Cyclops knocked her out immediately. And then Reed's play was like, run! <laughs> <laughs> For a genius, Reed isn't the greatest strategy. No, no. He's a different kind of genius. Yeah. 
And then meanwhile, Catherine Pride or Kate, Kate. as we're now Call calling Kate, her, I yes. don't. Uh, Kitty Pride and Franklin and uh, Valeria are on Doom Island, which sounds like a terrible theme park. Doom has his own island. Everyone gets an island in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> and he has an island to keep all of Latveria's mutant population out of Latveria, but not on Krakoa. Which makes sense for Doom. That was totally in character for Doom. And the inciting incident here is that Franklin's powers are diminishing. So like every time he uses his powers, they're not like coming back full strength. Mm-hmm. And Reed can't figure out a way to fix him. And Franklin rightly notes that, like, yeah, the two people who have powers who need to be tweaked, Reed can't seem to do it, him and Ben. Right. Franklin's got a lot of teenage angst and thinks that his dad doesn't want him to be special. So he goes to the cool, dangerous uncle for help. Right. I kind of dig it. Yeah, we talked about the first issue. Chip Rosarski writes a great Fantastic Four. He wrote a great Marvel 2-1 miniseries with them before. He also writes a great X-Men. This is an interesting sort of side story to all the X-Men stuff going on with... Latverian mutants and the Fantastic Four. You know, I, at first I was always weird, weirded out that Franklin was a mutant, but then I realized, you know, the mutant gene can happen anywhere. So it's interesting to have the son of one of the more prominent heroes be a mutant as well and not have the father be one. So there, that causes tension, especially now with what they're doing with the X-Men. This story's fun. It doesn't really take place, you know, Kitty's alive and Pyro doesn't have his face tattoo, but it's just, a, it's a fun story. I've been enjoying it. Yeah, and I just I think it's interesting that like I imagine I have to believe that when Chip's writing this, he's trying to write a story that's balanced in a way where you could argue either the the X Men perspective or the Fantastic Four perspective. But everything I've seen online and everything I feel while reading it just makes it seem like the X Men are completely unsupportable. No one can support the X Men. Okay, please contact us at contactfanboy.com if you think you can support the X Men position. We will uh, debate that on the show if you think you can. I'll debate it on Twitter. I'm not afraid. Not just in time for the show, because the show's not launching until much later, but to coincide with the show, because that's all the books do now, is Falcon and the Winter Soldier number one. From a creative team I'm not familiar with, a, written by Derek Landry, pencils by Federico Vincenti. I know Matt Mila has colors, and I know Joe Carmagna on letters, but I don't know this writer-artist team. However, I thought this was solidly done. It wasn't great. It didn't blow my socks off. It wasn't as good as some of the... Other team-up books that we've seen recently with Winter Soldier and Hawkeye and Black Widow. I thought this was well done. I thought the characterizations were pretty good, and I thought the villain was interesting. I agree with everything you said. Falcon's costume's still terrible. Yeah. Well, it's fine, because they don't wear their costumes almost the entire issue, so whatever. Red Wing's got this, like, hood harness. Like, Red Wing has a secret identity now, too, I think. Well, you don't want to confuse him for other birds. He's got his own issues. He's got a family. He's got a job. He doesn't want anyone to know it he's It feels a like they're really trying to be like, okay, well, in the in the movie and, and subsequent TV show, Red Wing is a drone, so we better put some robotics on, on this bird. To, uh, he might have been feeling inadequate too. next to Falcon's giant shoulder pads. Much like the TV show, I assume, the characters spend all but six pages in regular clothes, so I assume that's how the show will go as well. So here they encounter... A child killer who is faster and stronger and better at fighting than they are. The natural. <laughs> he's a young Robert Redford. <laughs> and the, all the lights explode. <laughs> and he. <laughs> um, so I forget why this even happened. I forgot. I mean, I like the issue, but I'm having trouble remembering what happened. And it. maybe it's because I've been frying an egg on top of my head for the last. I will minutes. tell you what happened. What happened is. Oh, all the dead people. That's right. Bucky gets attacked in his home. He gets out of his home. It turns out there's this office of federal utilities, which sounds very boring, but turns out it's a secret organization that tracks down domestic terrorist training camps and then sends Bucky to kill them all. That's right. Everyone in the office has been assassinated except for one woman who didn't come in because she had a hangover. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) And uh, so they go track this woman down to see if she can help them figure out what's going on. And while they are dealing with this hungover woman, this child comes and beats the snot out of them and then leaves them not for dead purposefully and says, come get me if if you can. Next time I'm going to kill you. I mean, the kid is not the most original character type. The idea of, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours and I'm going to tell you how how much of a fan I am while I'm beating you up. I feel like I've seen that kind of character before, but it was entertainingly done. And I thought that the art was appropriately exciting and kinetic in the fight scene, which was a long fight scene between the three of them. Yeah, it sort of had like Luther Strode vibes. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see how they beat this young Robert Redford in a 
Wearing Joker colors. He's wearing purple and green. It's going to be hard because when you're wearing shoulder pads that big, you really don't have the range. Well, that's that why you he never want. wears the costume anymore. Because, <laughs> you know, the shoulder pads are going to keep hitting you in the in the ear if you raise your arm up too high. And it's just tough. It's tough to fight that way. There's no range of motion in that costume. Yeah. So this was interesting. I didn't love it as much as I was hoping. It wasn't in the contention for Pick of the Week like I thought it might be. But I did really enjoy reading it. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes Let's take a quick break and talk about how you, the listener, can support iFanboy. We are listener-supported, and we thank everyone who does. That's how the show keeps going, keeps the lights on, keeps paying for equipment, and Josh has got a whole new microphone set up thanks to the patrons at patreon.com slash iFanboy. Our next stretch goal is we'll do a monthly non-comics media podcast, and we'll upload all the missing full-length video shows and minis to our YouTube channel. Re-embed them on the website. They're all, most of them are missing. You can't see them. You can't find them. So we'll, we'll, if we hit the next stretch goal, which is only $300 away, uh, we'll hit that goal. So only a small portion of you need to become patrons. And we thank anyone who does. T-shirt store, ifanboy.threadless.com. We can find our seven t-shirt designs all there. And we just set up a new Slack channel to discuss our new t-shirt designs to, to get the production going. So we're going to finalize those designs. we got a designer we use. And we'll finish those and we'll get them out to you as soon as possible. Ifanboy.threadless.com. Also, ifanboy.com slash support. That's where you can directly donate via PayPal if you're just wanting to throw a couple bucks like a tip jar or if you are a wily old billionaire who needs to get rid of some money before the federal investigators find out what you've got. You can do that at fmo.com slash support. And finally, fmo.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find a link to buy our Booksplode books and a general link. And we thank everyone who does that. We really do keep the show going because of you and we appreciate it. And I'm just, I'm sitting here covered in sweat. Sounds like you could use an absorbent 100% cotton t-shirt. I could. To, it's, it's a real shame you don't get them for free. But. It's not natural. Amethyst. Number, I almost said amethyst. I don't know why I did that. But again, I uh, can barely remember my own name right now. Amethyst number one from Wonder Comics, DC's Bendis line of books, or at least Bendis adjacent books. Amethyst would be some sort of religion. Amethyism. That's maybe what they'll do on Krakoa. So I wasn't going to read this book because Amethyst is all right. I've never really responded to the character when she had a new 52 book it wasn't the best and i've i've enjoyed her as a part of young justice but i don't know if i was gonna read her as a solo character but i saw amy reader was doing it and she's a terrific writer artist so i gave it a shot and it was fine where does the whole gem world thing come from this is a gap in my comics knowledge history i think it's an old 80s concept but i could be wrong it's one of those things there that uh wouldn't have appealed to 13 year old connor so I didn't really pay much attention to it when I was younger. Until you got converted to amethyism. Right. Right, obviously. The thing about amethyism is it's all about sex and then and throupling. I don't even know what that sure. means. Sure. Well, and recrystallization, of course. Right. It's all through crystals. We put crystals on our bodies and heads and and then we drink from the cocoa bean. So, amethyst. Amethyst goes back to her gym world because there's a there's a big ceremony and she finds that basically her whole kingdom has been destroyed in gem world all the kingdoms there's a there's an opal kingdom and a amethyst kingdom and all, all the different gems have their own kingdoms and hers has been destroyed the turquoise kingdom so she's she's trying to find figure out what's going on she goes to her allies at the house of turquoise and they don't want to help her even though her best friend is in charge and everyone there has four arms which is weird because they're not full arms they, they break off at the elbow which has just kept freaking me out every time i looked at it so she thinks that the House of Opal, which is their natural enemy, is the cause of all these problems, but she doesn't know, quite know for sure. She's just running around trying to find help and figure out what's going on. I don't think Opal is a true gemstone, so this might be like a, a, this might be a racist thing. I think it's that in the 80s or whenever this started, they didn't do a lot of research. They just said, this sounds good, and moved on. You know, it's a um, hydrated amorphous silicate, and so it's, not, it's more of a stone than a gem. Is turquoise a gem? Yeah, because right. it has a crystal, has a crystal habit. But opal is an unorganized form of hydrated silica. So if someone gives you an op- like an opal ring or pendant, you should throw it back in their face? I think opal's beautiful. I think so as well. It's just it, you can't cut it like you can cut a diamond or an emerald or a, a sapphire. What do you do with it? You just you polish it into a smooth. That's why it's always like a polished ovoid shape. Ah. Because the way the light refracts through it, it is random as opposed to a crystal, which is structured. Well, you know, it makes sense that they'd be the bad guys because they feel inadequate. They are not actually gems. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm sure it's seem. I'm just saying. Seems racist. Don't know Am- how, but Amethyst began in 1983, which I, I knew it was in the 80s. I remember seeing ads for it in the books, but not on my radar. Because non-hydrated silica would just be quartz. Okay. 
I've lost thread on that. Anyway, I liked it. Yeah, I liked some aspects of it. I really liked the um, markings on the giant caterpillar that made it seem more dangerous than it really right. was. Yeah. I thought that was really fun and cute. I think she's a great artist, and I think she's a strong writer. And I think as long as she is doing the writing the art on it, I'll probably keep reading it. The Wonder Comics are supposed to be all ages, right? I don't know. They've never really said, at least I have. YA. But they're not far. Which is not a bad thing, but no. not always the stories I am gravitate to at this point in my life. Sure. I understand. I mean, there's an ad in the back for Batman Damned. So, you know, bat penis in that one. Yeah, no, I think as a teenager, I would have been much more into both Batman Damned and Amethyst. So, Leviathan Dawn, number one. Bendis and Maliv. Did you read Leviathan? I keep wanting to say Leviathan Down, but that was Vader Down. I'm all caught up on both Leviathan and Vader Down. Event Leviathan was the first one. This is the sequel in which... David Bowie breaks out Steve Trevor from prison, and then they form sort of an anti... Event Leviathan was all about a bunch of investigator characters forming together to figure out who Leviathan is. In this issue, David Bowie and Steve Trevor form some sort of anti-investigator hero group for other reasons. And Green Arrow's on both. I don't know what was going on in this book. Mr. Bones! That was a funny bit. I had a Mr. Bones growing up. They were forming Checkmate, and so this is the new Checkmate, which is Steve Trevor, Kate Spencer, Green Arrow, Lois Lane, Tali Al Ghul, Question, and Mr. Bones, and then the King, who looks exactly like David Bowie. I loved the guard at the Iron Heights prison talking about Talia, and I was like, she's just so mean. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's funny. It's in the in the Bendis way. This was entertaining, but it didn't grab me like Event Leviathan did, and I wasn't quite sure. I feel like we were on a really steady trajectory with Event Leviathan and the beginnings of Action Comics Superman, and I feel like all these stories sort of hit a wall at the same time, and now it's all a mess. Yeah, I mean, Leviathan seems to be setting up his own country, so he's taken over Markovia, which is um, the country where the Geoforce character yes. is from. And Terra. And Terra, his little sister. Yeah, I guess when event leviathan ended i i thought it was done for a while i wasn't expecting a new leviathan story to come out this quickly and so i i didn't go into it with any sort of like idea of what it was going to be about and so i was kind of just like okay well, well if you there recall it is. there was a road to leviathan right that one shot that's what that was called and then this is also i guess a one shot because it says continued in event leviathan checkmate so I mean, there was a time where I really liked Checkmate. You know, that Greg Rucka, was Judd Winnick involved in that era as well? Not in that book. That was Eric Troutman. That's right. Yep, yep. I really liked that series, so I'm not against Checkmate coming back. I just don't. I just don't feel the connection to this one I felt with the first one. I'm not yeah. saying I won't. I'm willing to feel it as, again. I'm just looking forward to feeling that way because I don't right now. Thank you for telling me that, Connor. This feels like relationship counseling. You're telling me a lot about What, what is this show but not counseling through our comic book relationship every week? Action Comics 1020, this is sort of emblematic of the problems in that we had interesting stories going on with Bendis' book and now we're smack dab in the middle of this Justice League death metal story infects into it and now i feel like i read this issue and i don't know what the hell happened in it i mean i know what happened in it It was a giant fight scene but I'm, i don't know why any of it happened i feel like brian michael bendis is smart enough to know that having john ramita jr draw the new young justice was not a good idea <laughs> and i'm not sure how he let it happen anyway you know since the days where he was on avengers and spider woman had hair yeah i love john ramita jr but he's one of those people who all of his characters look like they're from a, a certain era. Yeah, and the thing is, like, there's an ad in here for Superman Year One, which featured terrific John Romita Jr. as far as I was concerned. But I thought this yep. was this was really rocky. Putting a pin in the art for a second, you know, Young Justice shows up at the Hall of Justice, and Superman arrives, and he's like, "Oh, we don't have time to talk. I got to do this thing. There's a fight going on in the park with Lex Luthor and the Legion of Doom." And and then he talks to Tim Drake. He's like, "Oh, who are you?" He's like, "I'm Robin." In this reality, he's never been Robin. He was Red Robin, and they made a whole point of him. I was never Robin. I was only Red Robin. But he calls himself Robin, even though on the page previously, his Drake, <laughs> Drake stupid yeah. Drake name is on the page. And then Superman acts like he's never met him before. Robin has to say, we worked together during Final Crisis, and he's like, oh, right. Does he not know who Tim Drake is? It seems like no one at DC knows who Tim Drake is. <laughs> I mean, I realize this is, this is a Superman from another multiverse, but you're telling me that he doesn't know who Tim Drake is? Feels like that aspect of his character has also been forgotten. I have a question. Not reading Justice League. Lex Luthor's a Martian now? 
I don't even have the time or the will to explain that to you. Well, then you're going to have to turn your Green Lantern <laughs> ring back into the core. <laughs> he, he, I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> so it, is, it hurts me. Is Connor a, a quarter Martian then? Because that was the thought I had. Maybe Connor should have some Martian powers. He was given power by Perpetua, the mother of the monitor and the anti-monitor. And then we, we all thought that story ended, but it, it keeps going here. Okay. <laughs> And as cool as it was to see Superman and Connor Kent flying off into battle together because they don't know each other here, again, it's like, what is going on? I do not know. So <laughs> it was a you weird me, if you If you brought me here today to tell you what's going on, I cannot do that for you. I was Sorry. hoping someone somewhere, anywhere could tell me. And there was one point, and, I'm, and you're reading this digitally, right? On page 16, where Batman's talking to Superman and Diana through the comms. What is he wearing? Oh yeah, because his mouth is all weird. But he's well, wearing—he's he's like, he's wearing like a—he's look like he looks like Ronin. Yep, I think yeah. And then later—I mean, yeah. later on—he's in a giant bat armor thing that was very reminiscent of Batman Year One. But like, what is the other outfit? I think it, that's supposed to represent that he's already in the armor or putting on the armor. I was confused at first too, but that was how I interpreted it. I don't know what's happening. This was this was crazy, and not in a fun way. Not in like that was crazy. Like that was like what is because it looks like his mask is like floating in front of his face, but he's also still wearing a mask. To many people's chagrin or amusement, Josh and I have been giant boosters of Bendis's run, and I don't know what's happening right now. Yeah, feels like there's some storytelling issues. Feels like there's some editorial crossover issues. Issues, yeah, editorial issues. I, I there's issues, and this we, was an issue. This was we, issue one thousand twenty. Yeah, dialing back the clock by roughly 1,019 issues, is tomorrow number one. I <laughs> So this is Dark dark Horse. It's a burger book. And it's uh, Pete Middleton and Jesus Hervas and James Herbay. Devlin. Hervey. And letters by Sal Sapriano. I try to be good about picking up number ones just to check them out. There's a lot. You're always good about bringing Dark Horse number ones onto the show. Some of them have been great. Like, I've been enjoying reading the ones, the, the, the Civil War one. You, no, that was Jane. That was John. That was... <laughs> that was neither one of those that was Jim holy cow I'm literally sweat sitting in a pool of sweat and I can't remember anyone's name that was Jim but you brought on another book that I'm still reading I can't remember what it was at the moment it's not important okay this one I started flipping through it digitally and the first page is a page long intro by Peter Milligan and I was like oh, oh no that's I don't want that as the start of the book but it uh, turns out it's a book all about young people surviving a pandemic. And um, I don't know if you're looking at the same coronavirus map I am looking at. I am because you sent it to me and I can't stop. <laughs> did you read it? Yeah. Or I, after you said you wanted to put it on the show, I, I read it. This was a mess. This was a giant mess. The, the, oh, really? I kind of dug it. I had real problems with the storytelling. So the big pitch is that it's basically why the last man, but with all the adults dying instead of all the men dying. That's like the sort of the high level pitch which is kind of surprising since it's Karen Berger who also was the editor on that book. The opening essay didn't help, I think. I don't think you should explain the book before it starts. I think the essay should come at the back, as is very typical, and then talk about the book if you want. But I don't think you should start off the book this way. It was the same problem with the Butcher of Paris to starting off telling us everything about the killer in the first on the inside flap of the book instead of the actual story. Yeah. And so here it just felt like a bunch of random things that happen. I know that's that's sort of the nature of the story, which is interesting a bunch of characters. However, it felt sloppy. For instance, one of the main characters is this cellist. Oscar. Oscar is neurotypical. He's from San Diego, and he's in New York auditioning for some prestigious music college. But we flash back to San Diego, where he's freaking out because his twin sister's not coming with him on the trip, and he's never traveled without her. And So his mother's soothing him, and she says, he says... You have to wear yellow. You know you always wear yellow. And she says, I wear red when we travel. I wear yellow when, we're, when you're playing. Four panels later, they're flying, and she's wearing yellow, not red, which is what she said she was going to be wearing four panels earlier. Well, because he said, I'm playing right now because I'm playing it in my head, I think is what they were going for there. I actually kind of liked this. But let me, let's just look at one more thing. So then, and then you can explain why you liked it, because I'm, I'm very curious. So then... There's like super stereotypical rich kid soccer team whose bus crashes because the bus driver dies. And, and yeah, that part that, I hated. That part that, that was bus should have just exploded. And then there's a there's the rich kid's dad who's off on an executive retreat in the f- fucking desert with his team, and someone starts shooting at them. 
But then there's this guy who's a cybersecurity expert who we meet earlier with his family. And he's briefing, like, it doesn't say, but like the Joint Chiefs of Staff or a bunch of generals. And he's briefing them on this virus, which apparently jumped from computers to people, which, again, I don't think is possible, but whatever. He gets a phone call in the middle of his briefing the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he takes it, which would never happen. And the guy on the phone says, hey, I'm uh, Yashin Pogrov, the famous Russian hacker. And he goes, you, the Yashin Pogrov? Just believes him. Just decides to believe him. This could be anybody. <laughs> and then Russian forces break in in the middle of a call and, and kidnap this guy. But he, And he's like, we got to go save Yashin Pogrov. And literally, it, again, could have been anybody calling him on the phone. And also, he takes another call while the generals are like, we need to finish this briefing from his family who have had a bad accident. I mean, it just, it just seemed like a bunch of things that wouldn't, wouldn't happen... Uh, bad storytelling and I don't know. I mean, the idea is kind of interesting where, you know, the idea he talks about in the essay again is like everyone talks about the future of the hope of the future is in the children, but the, ch- the children are just as awful as, as adults are. And so what's going to happen when the children are in charge? We, we've all read Lord of the Flies. And so I don't know. I didn't like it, but I'm curious to see why you did. So I thought it was interesting to have neuroatypical person as the, one of the primary protagonists, mm-hmm. the way that it was, written at first i agree with you i don't like the essay in the front but i think if i hadn't read that essay that character might not have worked at all for me but the idea that like i'm not responding to the panic from this pandemic the same way as everybody else because of this thing right i thought was actually kind of interesting and something i hadn't seen before. that was interesting yes i actually kind of liked the virus jumping from computers to humans that to me felt like a very warren ellis remember global frequency i did but i never read it Okay. Um, it was an anthology series and it had a storyline that was similar where there was like a, a you know, data driven virus sort of thing. And I actually think that's kind of cool. I think that's worth exploring. It, it seems like, you know, it's an issue one. I will also, I'll also just say they just did this on deceased where if you look at the screen and you get the virus, that was just the main plot point of deceased, but that's true. But those are superheroes and these are just people. I know, I'm just saying this felt very derivative of a bunch of different things. That's all I'm saying. I maybe just because I've been thinking about coronavirus more than I should. Sure. <laughs> you know, the idea of a virus spreading faster than we can control it and a certain group of people maybe having some degree of immunity or some ability to, to handle it. I found interesting enough that I enjoyed this and will probably read the next issue. Oh, the irony of, of a disease that attacks through screens and yet none of the children get it. You sound okay, boomer. You sound roll, but you say <laughs> stuff like that. I just didn't like it, but that's fine. I thought the art was was good. I didn't. It just. I. It didn't work. I didn't. I didn't love it. I just thought it was in, worth talking about sure. for a few minutes. Are you going to stay with it? It's a five issue miniseries. Yeah, yeah. I'll read. I'll read issue two, and if I don't like issue two, then I'll drop it because I I have no loyalty. So those are the books we wanted to talk about. It was a pretty big week, and on Patreon.com/slash/fanboy, you can vote to add a book to the rundown. All the patrons can do that, and the runaway winner was. Fantastic Four, Grim Noir, number one, from Jerry Duggan, Ron Garney, Matt Miller, and Joe Caramagna again. And this was also the running for Pick of the Week. Really? This might have been number two, actually. Uh, I Interesting. This was, this was terrific. This is a one-shot tale featuring the, the Thing, who is being menaced in his dreams by a creature... And I was just confused because I thought we were going back to like the Marvel noir universe <laughs> at yeah. first. No, I think this is just the one shot. No, you're, it is. It's clearly set in the current Fantastic Four continuity. I just wish that had been more clear. Right. Also, Grim, Grim Noir is a great wordplay. It's great. And so there's this, I don't say creature, but there's this villain being, demon Eve being that is preying on Ben Grimm's pain and angst and threatens Alicia. And it's just, I thought this was a really interesting and great. A look at, at the thing of uh, the dream imagery was was interesting the mm-hmm. a nice history of him even though it's modern day apparently when he was a kid it was the 1920s and yeah, i noticed that and and i actually really enjoyed that i, I love that i love that about I comics didn't, i didn't mind that at all i love that everyone's every yeah it's it's a lot, a lot of, of flat caps and t-shirts and suspenders yep a lot of tom caters uh vested dc <laughs> gangst uh what did tom caters always call them like the hoodlums are there was street a, toughs street toughs that's right always wearing vests in the DC universe. The Ron Garnier was incredibly good. I was expecting and hoping, I'd mentioned this on Instagram, that it was going to be black and white like the cover. Yeah. But it was only that one sequence when he, when he wakes up from his nightmare. But it still was great. I loved how prominent, and I'm going to give credit here to Matt Miller, how prominent the thing's blue eyes were. Mm. I feel like they aren't usually this prominent. You know, because he's the ever-loving blue-eyed thing, but 
he's got like Paul Newman-esque blue eyes in, all throughout this issue. And it, they really popped. And I loved that. I agree with you about wishing it had been black and white. But by and large, I, I did really enjoy it. I really liked he wakes up from the nightmare and Alicia wakes up next to him. And she makes some joke about going back to sleep. But then she's like, nah, forget it. I'm going to carve. Like, I'll, I'll go ahead and sculpt whatever this monster is that's chasing you so you can have a, a bust of it to go show right. me. I was like, that's really cool. That's like, it's it's sweet that she And he that. runs in holding it like a club. He's like, <laughs> Reed, who is this? I thought this was, I thought this was incredibly good. And then it ends with uh, it ends with one of the gone but not forgotten iFanboy barbecue specials or grilling out specials. Right. I mean, look, the villain's called Despair. Yeah, that was dumb. D apostrophe S P A Y R E. It's just like so comic booky that I was fine with it. If you were at a cookout, yeah. with the Fantastic Four, yeah. would you be annoyed that Johnny was cooking the hot yes. dogs with his hands instead yes. of just using the grill? Yes. Like, do you want to eat his metabolic product, or do you just want to turn the grill on? I thought about that as I was looking at that page. Like he is cooking it badly, and I don't want to say wrong because yeah. there's no such thing as wrong. But there's no way those hot dogs are going to be as good. No, and like you got to imagine that. Like, did Johnny wash his hands before he started doing this? No, probably not. So like his hands are probably gross. He's putting all that grossness on your on your hot dog. If he's going to be zapping the food, why even have the grill? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Just shove your finger inside the hot dog, Johnny, and light up and cook it from the inside out like a microwave. Also, he's got like a weird hairstyle going on. It's almost like a faux hawk. Yeah, I see that. But anyway, this was terrific. In a week without Hellblazer, this might have been the pick. It just was a, it was an incredibly strong, very traditionally Marvel book. The great history, flashbacks to Ben's childhood, you know, his angst about being the thing. It's all your classic thing elements in this and I really liked the Ron Garnier man. I don't know why he's not a regular artist. And I thought the little bit about the, their their neighbor was great too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Rosemary, their singer. Very uh, very rear window. Yes, their singer neighbor who gets abducted an- by the despair. I used to have a neighbor that played a really beautiful violin in the afternoons, and I miss whoever that was because they they've been gone for years. But it was like every day in the afternoon, this sort of beautifully mournful tune would play throughout the street, and it was just great. I used to have neighbors who were uh, a mariachi band Ooh. and they would only practice on the weekends though. Cause I, so every weekend morning I would wake up to mariachi music, presumably for whatever quinceanera they were getting ready to, to go perform at. But sure. it was, it was lovely because like it never disrupted my sleep during the week, but on the weekends I had this little treat. Of like, I love oh, mariachi. Hey. My mariachi is I'm very pro. Anyway, what are we talking about? I don't know. Ratings. Patreon ratings. Oh, right. Ratings. Ratings. I'm giving it a five out of five. Four and a half out of five. I would stick with it if there were more, but there are none. I would also stick with it if it were more. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's you can go vote to add a book to the rundown. But if you give it the $5 or higher level, you get your own superpower live on the show. And we're going to start by thanking Tommy Newton. And Tommy Newton, he knows what will be a waste of his time. Whoa. Here's a scenario. You're home. You're comfortable. You've got a cocktail. You're watching a movie you like. You get your shoes off. And your friends call. They're like, hey, we're all at the bar doing this thing with these people. Tommy knows if going to the bar is a waste of his time or not. Mm. He knows, no, it'll be great. Go to the bar. Or he knows, no, it's going to be lame. You're going to spend a lot of money and not have a good time. You're very happy right now. Tommy knows instinctively when given a choice between activities, he knows what will be a waste of his time and what won't be a waste of his time. I feel like 99.9 plus percent of the time just staying home is going to be the right answer. As you get older, absolutely. I'm just, you know, in my 20s, Tommy's power would have been very helpful. Could have, You could have sorted through some things. Just, you know, sometimes you're like, I spent an hour to get here for this. That's all. So in the past couple of times I've been on, I, I've struggled because I haven't come up with patron powers ahead of time. Sure. So this time I really thought about it. Uh-huh. I woke up in the night. I had an idea and thought, oh, I remember that in the morning. Didn't you had, a, you had a bad dream, like the thing, right? But I and then I, I did the classic, like oh, I'll remember that in the morning. I don't need to write it down right now, which is wrong. I I forgot it. But I think I need to take a page out of the Ron Richards playbook of patron powers and come up with the name of the hero, sure, and then a, and then assign the power based on the name. So Michael Escobedo uh-huh. is his his superhero name is Ketchup, okay. because because once a day. He can pause time for an hour oh. to get to get caught up on something. It oh. has to be used to get caught up on something. Like paperwork or cleaning yep. or... Yep. 
and then and then they can only use the power again after a long or short rest. Long or short rest. It's a it's a D and D thing. It's okay. Yeah, there's two different kinds of rest in the in the D and D universe. So he has catch up, and it, it, he can. I mean, theoretically, like anything that he's behind on. So if he's behind on sleep, he could use that hour to take a nap. Interesting, but only catch up on things. He can't like go travel somewhere. He can't use it no. to travel or whatever. Or like, or like sometimes like I'll have a, a you know a recipe that I'm excited to make, and it's like a project recipe, so I know it's going to take like longer than it should because it's a little bit more complicated. I couldn't use the power. On that, you can't use not, the prep. No, I couldn't mise en place with ketchup's powers. Or I need to would, slicing onions. You have to do it on something that is giving you anxiety because you're behind on it. It's almost it's linked to the anxiety. So it's mostly a cleaning power. Cleaning paperwork, uh, emails. You could use it to catch up on emails. Sure, if you're behind. So anything you need to catch up on, you could use this power one hour a day to do that. Okay, so this next one, I swear, th- this is a coincidence from what we talked about earlier. David Caswell can help his favorite baseball player hit a home run by turning into Glenn Close from The Natural. <laughs> Do the lights explode, though? That's, so that's he has to be at the game. Oh, oh, interesting. And he has to stand up, and then he turns into Glenn Close, and people start shouting for him to sit down, and the light, the sun gets weird, and then he hits his favorite player will hit a home run. Interesting. And then he's, he's got the hat, the dress. Can he get sponsorship for this? Like, could a team, could the could the Tampa Bay Rays? Well, that's like, the thing is it's so mysterious that no one really knows what happened. I feel like he could market this, though. So, but afterwards, they're like, wait, did, did that happen? And people are like, no, that couldn't have happened. Mm, so he has trouble proving causation. Right. Okay, interesting. That's tough. Yeah. I feel like if you were a baseball fan. And only, only once a game. What is so it? It's not does like he, every time the player comes up. Does he have to activate it, or does it just? Pass oh yeah, no, he has to. Uh, he has to consciously stand and turn into Glenn Close. Okay, <laughs> all right. JJ Orta. So I didn't tell you this before, but uh, turns out my powers this week—they're a duo, they're a team up. Oh. Because JJ Orta is Mustard Man. Okay. He has all the powers of mustard. What does that mean? He he adds a little spice, makes things. Is it a tang? He can. He also mustard seeds, uh, famously from the Bible, one of the smallest seeds, but can grow into a large plant. So he can go from the size of a mustard seed up to about 10 feet tall. He can shoot mustard gas out of his hands. He has all the Uh, powers of mustard. He can dispense different kinds of mustards from his fingers. If you need your hot dog a little, give a little zest, a little zing, a little zing zang. Oh boy. He can, yeah, anything mustard can do. He could stain something. If you need like a mustard stain on something, he can, he can provide that stain. Like, yeah, I mean, he can form the, the thiocyanites that, that give mustard its characteristic spice. Well. Yeah. Anything mustard can do, J.J. Orta can also do that. Well, there you go. J.J., David, Michael, and Tommy, thanks for being patrons. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. And we're reaching the end of our list of current patrons and they will be going back in the list and getting everyone who had upgraded and hasn't yet received their power after becoming a patron so we have that list you are not forgotten and you'll get catch up and mustard man i'm gonna do this team-based you should pitch thought that. ahead powers let's do one quick email i don't think it'll take that long dallas t writes and says i'm currently facing the dilemma that i'm sure you have at some point between my desire to save money on comics and have them at fingertips at all times via comicsology unlimited and my love of owning and reading from physical books it's clear to me my personal preference is to have a physical book, but I've been using my free month's trial of Comicsology, and the sheer volume of what I've been able to read for free in a month is staggering. And the idea of reading things like Tom Taylor's entire all-new Wolverine run for free in Comicsology instead of spending $70-plus to track it all down in physical volumes has been amazing. I would also much rather support my local comic book store owner, who I have become good friends with, than Amazon with my money, but I'm in college and saving $10 every week on comics would be huge. Basically, I just want you to make my decision for me or at least make arguments for why you like the format you do. Oh, man. Great question. I am all digital uh, except for graphic novels at this point. And part of that is because, you know, also in college, I bought a lot of comics and I've been lugging them around behind me ever since. And it's reached a point where it's a dead horse. Yeah, it's more of a pain than not. So uh, 10 years from now, I think you might appreciate having a hard drive full of great books you're excited to read than boxes upon boxes that you physically have to move around yourself. But the idea of supporting a local comic shop is uh, something I, I definitely understand and think is a valid concern. 
I think that's totally valid. I do think that at a certain point, though, if you are in college yeah, and you're not a working professional with income, then I think you shouldn't feel beholden to any, anyone. Not that, not that Dallas thing is beholden, but I think if, if you're a student and you're on limited income, then you should take the best deal you can get, I think. Yeah. I mean, I went to, I shopped at a comic store all through college. We had one in downtown Same. Ithaca, and luckily we did. I don't know what I would have done if we hadn't had one. I also definitely wouldn't have met Josh and Ron. I, you know, I, I had a job and spent, that's how I paid for comics in college, but if there had been a cheaper option, if there had been a comicsology back then, then I might not have done that to save money. Because I was, again, you know, I had a campus job. It wasn't like I was making salary or anything. I'm like you. I'm a digital weekly reader. It's just, it's the best format for me. And I'm a, and then things I really like, I buy and trade. Like I, you know, I'll definitely be having Superman smashes the clan on my shelf. But most of these comics that I read, most of anything, most TV shows, most movies aren't things I'm going to want to have forever on my shelf. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 70% 70% or 80% of everything is sort of just mediocre. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like it's disposable entertainment. And so, you know, there's TV shows I enjoy watching. I'm not going to buy them on Blu-ray or probably ever watch them again. But I enjoy them in the, in the moment. Most, you know, most movies I watch, I'm not going to watch again, but I enjoy them in the moment. And most comics I read every week, I, I enjoy in the moment, but I'm not going to buy the trade of. I was just yeah. keeping them out of inertia. You know, I had all those boxes, I had those 30 boxes that I ended up giving away. Because I had those books, it, it was something I'd always done and I always kept doing it. And eventually I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I keeping these? I'm never reading them. I don't look at them. I'd rather have, you know, all on my iPad and then I'd rather have the extra space in my apartment and then I'd rather have the books I really love, the really, the, the ones worth reading again on my shelf in a, in a trade form. And that to me is the ideal way to trade, collect comics, but there's, there's different ways everyone, you know, does it. And also like, I, you know, uh, I have a partner who would not appreciate my entire comic collection <laughs> on the bookshelves in our apartment. She, she really likes comics. She reads a lot of comics she, on you know certain week to week. She probably reads more comics than I do, but we um, get her on the show next time. She, she'd love it. I, yeah, let's do it. That's, <laughs> uh, that's I love this idea. <laughs> um, so, so I, I agree. There's, there's a point of diminishing returns, especially years out, I guess. Okay. So, Red Sun is coming out as an animated movie soon. Yep. yep. I would like to read Red Sun again. And mm-hmm. and Julie, my wife, has never read it, right. which she pointed out to me when I was like, oh, my fa- one of my favorite series that I've been advocating to come out for years is coming out. And she's like, oh, well, I've, I've never actually read it. And I was like, oh. And then I realized, like, I have no idea where my owned copy of the graphic novel is because it's in some box somewhere in the basement. Right. And where where is my time better spent like i need tommy's power to tell me is it a waste of time for me to go find it in the boxes or just download a digital copy and let her borrow my ipad for an hour right yeah i mean i the the convenience level for the digital comic is second to none i think because a lot of it is digitized it's easy to get if you if you want that book like for instance on the show We'll be talking, Josh will be, or you or whoever will be extolling the virtues of a book. And I think, oh, I should read that. And I can just download it while we're talking. And so that's very helpful to me as a reader. But again, I don't denigrate anyone who has a giant collection. If I, you know, if I had a giant house, it might be a different story. Here's what I'll say. I think for week-to-week issues, there's almost no reason I can think of to still be buying the paper copies. I think I, I think digital for the week-to-week single issues is so is clearly superior for me and my lifestyle and where I'm at and just everything about it mm-hmm. for, for collected editions for graphic novels. I love going to the comic shop and supporting the comic shop in that way. And then the other thing, and I think Josh has talked about this before. I think at one point it was possible for comic shops to set up a comicsology or Amazon affiliate. Yeah, they account. used to have that. I don't think they do anymore, but I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't, so I, don't ask know. Your- I don't know. I don't think it exists anymore though. If you're if you're the kind of person who's bold enough to ask your comic shop, hey, is there a way I can buy digital comics through like a portal that you guys have? There might not be anymore, but um, you know. I, also, we talked about working in college. I worked at the comic shop, so right. so that was one of the jobs I had in college. I had a number of jobs, and here's a life hack: if you work in the comic shop in college, you get to read the comics Tuesday night. <laughs> Just tell you that for free. Don't even well, have to buy them just while you're unloading so, the boxes. So my summary here is if you're in college, the money's tight. Don't feel bad about using Comicology Unlimited. You know, 
if you even if you want to support your comic store, you can you can support them after you graduate and get a job. And if you decide what's best for you, if you want to read them physically, then you should get them physically. But the the benefits, the the wide catalog is is uh, the, the the space issues. Those are hard to beat in terms of uh, digital. I, I can't make your decision for you, Dallas. But I, I that's all I can tell you. That's all I can do for it's, you. It's it's difficult to have ethical consumption under capitalism, and I'm sorry for that. But it's we're all we're all facing it. And times are tough. You should do what's best for you. Yeah. Economically and uh, ethically and all those things. And it's going to be different for everybody. Let's uh, wrap it up. Contact.ifanboy.com is how you can write us in like Dallas. Thanks for did that. We got a bunch of good emails in the last couple of weeks, but we have been running short on time. So we're going to make sure we get back to answering emails. Uh, let's talk about other shows we do besides this one. So Josh's Talk Explode with Matthew Rosenberg is behind the feed on back there. There's a, his interview show that he does with a creator every other month. His next episode... It's supposed to be coming out this month, but he just told me today that they just ran into some scheduling conflicts. So that may not be coming out this month, but it may also be coming out this month. I just don't know for sure yet. Uh, either way. Is that why you missed the show today? Yeah, he's he's out. He's out looking for that. This person. Tracking down leads? Yeah. So then uh, Booksplode is the companion show where Josh and I or whoever review a single collected edition. We talked about Batman by Neil Adams, book three. That's also back here in the feed. That was a lot of fun. That show went down a lot of interesting avenues. And so you can find those shows uh, on our feed, those are shows that are unlocked by the patrons. And also, coming soon, with Ryan and I and Paul Montgomery, is the Animation Brain Trust review of Superman Red Sun, which I just sent out an email about scheduling today, so we will have more. Oh, did you? <laughs> I haven't seen that. That's fine. It was literally right before we started, because I just thought of it, so we'll have more information for you on when that'll be soon. I mean, we need to figure out what's happening with Josh's Talksplode also, so we can schedule all these things properly. But that'll all be coming, that'll be coming to you soon, at some point in the next few weeks. I do a podcast called Science Sort of. We talk about science. We drink beer. It's supposed to be a fun time. It's a lot of work, but I do it, and I love it. <laughs> so check that out if you are so inclined. The end. And I promised information on this last week, and now I have it. The Tripwire Awards are currently going on. You can vote for the Tripwire Awards. Anyone can vote, and I would uh, ask you to consider voting for Bill Sienkiewicz, Revolution Volume 1, in the Best Collection category. It's a book that I worked on, very proud of. And the winners will be announced on Saturday, May 2nd. 2020 at the Portsmouth Comic Con, and the voting will be open until April 30th. So, you've got another month, another two months of voting. Maybe I won't talk about it every every show, but you got two more months to vote for the Tripwire Awards. I'll keep the link in the show notes, even if I don't talk about it. But you can do that until the end of April, and then and if May 2nd, if you happen to be at the Portsmouth Comic Con, that's where they'll be announcing the Tripwire Awards. Head over to findboy.com. You can find the show notes where the vote for the Tripwire Awards. You can find all of our podcasts. You can find everything you need over there. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy and following at ifanboy on Twitter and following at ifanboy comics on Instagram. That's where you can find the best of the week in panels feature in which many of the things we referenced today are shown on that this week. Individually, we are C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram, J.A. Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram, and Ryan is Ryan Haupt on Instagram and Haupt on Twitter. That's H-A-U-P-T. That's true. Follow me on Instagram if you want photos of the things I cook and the new cute dog I got last month. Everyone loves dog content, so you're good. Clementine is here to soothe your dog needs. She's so stinking cute. I tell her every day that I'm just going to kill her for being so freaking cute. Well, that's dark. Yeah, it is. It's, well, you know, <laughs> sometimes things are too cute to live uh, and hopped on Twitter. <laughs> you the sh- are you the one who's gone delirious from the heat? Stormtroopers hitting the ground. Oh my god! Uh, and and helped on Twitter is I've got, I've gotten real salty about uh, academia and academic life. So uh, two right. two very divergent avenues of my watch Ryan torch his career on Twitter. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be glorious. And then I'll rise like a phoenix from the ashes. Me and Clementine <laughs> coming at you. <laughs> uh, if you dig this show, you can write a review or leave a star rating on iTunes. It's really easy to do. You, you, you know, you don't need to like put in a ton of thought and energy into how you write a review. Just like one or two sentences. This is why I listen to the show every week. This is why I like it. This is what it means to me. Five stars. I, I will insist on the five star part, though. You have to <laughs> do that. Another huge thing is telling your friends about podcasts. People don't come to podcasts organically that often. And when they do, they're constantly looking for recommendations. So telling your friends about iFanboy is a really important way to get the word out about the and show. Sort of in any podcast you listen to. Yeah, any podcast you love. Unless they're produced by a giant corporation, they don't have a marketing budget. So you are the marketing budget. And screw and, them. And yeah, go screw <laughs> to, to channel Josh for a second. So um, spread the iFanboy love. Just tell everyone moms love iFanboy. That's that's the word around here. And it's yeah. really important. And so just spread it out there. Thank you. 
So thanks to Ryan for joining us as Josh is off, definitely not bearing the bodies of pollsters who keep knocking on his doors. In the in the script, it says I'm supposed to say at this point, I'm Connor. That's true. I don't know why it says that there. Oh, because there's no separation. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. People. I could be Connor. There was an error in last week's script in which we didn't. I'm gonna say we, but I didn't write it. Josh didn't change the number of the show, so we said it was the wrong show number at the top. We've all been there. I'll just read whatever you put in front of me, like Ron. Ron Burgundy. Burgundy. All right, I'm gonna go lay down in a bath of ice. And uh, sorry for the weird energy. And uh, we'll be back to normal when the temperature is. Until then, I'm Connor. I'm Connor. I mean, I'm Ryan. <laughs>